All right, you, as you get seated, say hi to somebody, and we're going to jump in. It doesn't have to be your neighbor if you don't like your neighbor. You should like your neighbor. Oh. Oh. Hey, everybody. So, as, as always, per the usual, it doesn't matter what we're doing. When it, when it lands on me to preach, even when it lands on me when we're rolling through, just rolling through a book of Acts, the, books of, the book of Acts, I, I get all the fun topics. Y'all know, if, you, if you've heard it, it's all, there's always something fun to, to talk about. And today we're going to talk about the fun topic of suffering. Um, we're going to be looking, we're coming, we're coming off of Acts 18 through 20, and we're going to be looking at chapters 21 through 23. And this is not going to be the, my usual, I usually have like a three point message kind of thing. We grab some scripture, but this is really going to be more of a commentary as we roll through these three chapters. And I've titled it purpose in suffering. And the reason I do that, because we're going to see we're going to see Paul get arrested. To give you some backstory, Paul is wrapping up his third missionary journey. He's headed back to Jerusalem, and he's been, he's been compelled to come back to Jerusalem. And if you were here, here the weeks before, Jeremy talked about being how Paul was bound to the Spirit. And in Acts chapter um, 19, Paul declares it in, in the middle of his missionary journey, I, need to, I must go to Rome. He declares that, and then in, in chapter uh, 20, verse 22, he feels bound by the Spirit to go back to Jerusalem. So we have this context of, of the Holy Spirit directing Paul back to Jerusalem on his way ultimately to Rome, and if we go way back to Acts chapter 9, where he is where, where Saul sort of has his conversion, his transformation on the road to Damascus, we see that part of Ananias' word for him, and the Lord speaking, it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 16, I will show him how much, how much he must suffer for my namesake. So, you know, fun, instru- fun encouraging instructions. You just got saved. You got blinded. Your sight was restored. And then you were told you were going to suffer. So what I want to show you today, I want you to see God working in the midst of suffering. That's, what I wor- that's where I want your brain to be. How is God working in the middle of the suffering? So there is this inherent truth that I want to share with you that sort of gives context to suffering. We've talked about suffering before, and we've talked about, me specifically, we've talked about suffering as a means of personal refinement, because it is. It, it continues to be that thing. Suffering refines us, sharpens us, just tears off all the useless stuff in our, in our life much more efficiently than rainbows and unicorns and peaceful walks on the beach do. There are those moments, but suffering has a way of cutting directly to the root 
It gets through all the fluff, and it takes care of the problem at its root. So we've seen that side of suffering, but there's this other side, and I want to give you this, this truth uh, that we can see. The inherent reality is that the kingdom of God we are called to bring forth is diametrically opposed to the very world that needs it. So we're supposed to bring heaven to earth, on earth as it is in heaven. We are carriers of God's kingdom. And Jesus told us, the world will hate you. As they hated me, so the world will hate you. So the world is opposed to the very gospel it needs. Resistance and suffering are to be expected if we are to express a sacrificial love to a sinful, self-centered, and unloving world. Why are we surprised when we step out into the world that does not know the agape love of God, that does not know the unconditional love of God, that is also completely opposed morally, the moral center is self and not God. These two worlds are colliding, and we are surprised when the other person is resistant. I'm not telling you this, that that every time you share the gospel, you're going to get in a fight. I'm not saying that. If there's anything more true around here is that people need to see the love of God. They've been told it a lot. They need to see it. They need to see it in action. But when we go out into these mission fields or we go out or we decide, you know what, Lord, use me. And he sends you to somewhere that's not work or church. And you encounter some people that have no basis for anything you're going to share. Why are we surprised when there's confrontation and ultimately a degree of suffering, whether that's suffering on us personally for feeling rejected or whether that's a political and governmental oppression, suffering in a degree should be expected. And I don't say that to say to to kneel by your bed tonight and pray for suffering to overwhelm you. (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) But suffering is not unbiblical. I, don't, I want to break that myth off that, well, if I'm a Christian, there will not be suffering. If you're a Christian, there's guaranteed to be suffering. There's guaranteed to be suffering. So Paul is living out his conviction to see the gospel set people free. He's gone on a total of three missionary journeys around. He's, he's seen Gentiles reconciled. He's seen Jewish people's Uh, And he's wanting to see Jewish people's zeal brought into focus. He loves Israel, but he wants to point them to Jesus so that they can see the truth. And he completely yields himself, completely yields himself to the Holy Spirit so that God's perfect will can be executed. And that has led him on this journey that we start in 21, where he's on his way back to Jerusalem. He feels compelled to go back to Jerusalem. And just short of that trip to Jerusalem in Acts 21, verses 10 and 12, we see a group of people that gather right before he leaves to pray and ask him not to go. Starting at verse 10, several days later, a man named Agabus who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived in Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. 
Then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When he heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. What he told him was not wrong. What he expressed was the truth of what Holy Spirit had to say, but Paul had the greater target, greater vision to say, I know. He later, he, the, the verses after this say, you, you, you're breaking my heart, essentially. That I know that suffering lies ahead, and I have to go. I have to go. So I want to encourage you that, that you may get, we see here that people mean good. The people mean for him not to suffer. They want him to be well but they can't appreciate the larger conviction of Paul needing to return to Jerusalem because he's trying to be 100% obedient. So we see the confirming words of trouble ahead, and Paul already knows that this is coming. If anything, he's been promised from the very beginning, and he's experienced in the three missionary journeys he's had different varying degrees of suffering, whether he was stoned or whipped or flogged or, or whatever as he went and shared the gospel. So I want to redirect you now. We're going, to, we're going to jump back into the Gospels, into John 15, verse 20. This is the only one we're going to come back to Acts. It'll be on the screen. Jesus speaking says, Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than their master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. So we're at, we're, we go back to Jesus' words to say, Hey, expect some opposition. Expect uncomfortable situations. Expect persecution. God in his fullness came in a man named Jesus and was murdered. So when you go, you're not going to have a different experience. You are going to experience varying degrees of suffering. Suffering is not always about us, but about those around us. We talked about personal, now that's not that God doesn't do both at the same time, but what I want you to see here is that there is suffering that is meant for others to see you endure. So that when you, as you walk through the fire and you're not burned, or maybe you walk through the fire and you're only burned a little bit, the people that normally would walk through that same fire and go and, and die, see that and ask themselves, what's different about them? What's different about them that they can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil? Why can they declare it is well with my soul while they're being murdered? When we endure, our actions confirm our words and our testimony. Your words do carry weight. Don't, don't hear me say they don't. But when you, when you walk out what you preach, your words and your testimony are rock solid. So you, when you declare it is well with my soul to somebody, and then they see you walk out it is well with my soul in that hard time, God gets glory. And they go, oh, something's different about them. They're not just telling me. They're not just... They're not just fluffing the situation and saying, oh, it's not that bad, or trying to, to provide some kind of distraction. No, they have experience. 
They have experience, and the grace of God has carried them through suffering so that they know his goodness more completely. That makes sense? So Paul, having known sufferings ahead, says, thanks, but I've got to go. We skip down a little bit into verse 18, or chapter 21, verses 18 through 22, where he arrives in Jerusalem. The next day, Paul went with us to meet, went with us to meet with James, and all the elders of the Jerusalem church were present. After greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of all the things God had accomplished among the Gentiles and through his ministry. After hearing this, they praised God, and they said, You know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jewish how many thousands of Jews have also believed, and they are all follow the law of Moses very seriously. Now, I want you to see this. This is about 20 years after his first visit to Jerusalem. So when he was set free, he had his Damascus Road encounter, and Ananias, uh, Barnabas ends up taking him to Jerusalem. This is 20 years ago. So now it's been 20 years, and he's come, in, he's come back a few times, but this time it's been 20 years since that instance. And you see here that they praise God for all the good things he's doing. Paul gives a good report, they, they praise God. And then they go, but, but, all you're doing is great, but. But the Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told that you are preaching, that you are teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles, to turn their backs on the law of Moses. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their children or follow other Jewish customs. What should we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So Paul returns and is just essentially like 50% high-fived and 50% like, you're causing trouble. They're wrestling with this tension of the truth of the gospel. Now, what you have to also understand is several letters have already been written. Paul has already written Galatians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, and I believe uh, 1 Thessalonians. He's already written several of these letters that have been in circulation for several years. Also, the, the council of the apostles that met and sent out the original letter that said, you know what, All, the only customs that matter are um, abstain from sexual immorality, idol worship, don't uh, eat things offered, offered to idols, and don't eat meat from a strangled animal. Like, those are the four big things. That happened 10 years prior. That happened in Jerusalem, and they already sent that letter out to every church. So every church allegedly, clearly, the internet's not a thing. But the church leaders are aware that, to a degree, adherence to the law is not required for salvation. Now, we don't know the motivation behind all of the other believers, the Jewish believers there, other than that you're allowed to keep the custom. Paul kept some of the customs. Paul practices the ritual, the the keeping of the vows and the ritual shaving of the head. You see that in in earlier chapters. But Jerusalem is in tension. Paul has preached freedom from the law, written years prior, and they've heard about it. The stakes are high because the church leaders there know that the zeal 
in the Jewish people there will lead to action. They're like, they may have, we don't know, but they may have already tried to be like, y'all need to chill out. Let me explain to you why this, this, and this. We don't know what the backstory there is. But what I want you to see here is that the core of the gospel is a confrontation of self. When you, get, when you receive Jesus, he receives you. His, lo- the, his love is not conditional on your, right, on your rightness, on your, on your lack of sin, on your presence of sin. His love is always present. But when the truth gets in you, it, de- it demands a self-evaluation. When the gospel is al- when the Holy Spirit is alive in you, at some point, he's going to say, you keep, you, you hold this standard over here, and this is my standard. Let, can we compare them? And he doesn't come at you with shame and condemnation, but he comes to talk to you. And in relationship with God, confrontation is part of relationship. Anything valuable Anything that holds value is worth fighting for, and Holy Spirit will fight for the righteousness He's placed in you. So here we are, where the core of the gospel is challenging hundreds and thousands, thousands of years of tradition. And Paul is caught in the middle. So they make a plan. Or I say they make a plan. The church leaders say, you know what you should do? You should go down to the temple with these other guys and complete the ritual purification ceremony. And then they'll see, oh, all of our assumptions are wrong. You should go do that. So, and Paul agrees. We don't know why, but I'm sure having, having gone through First and Second Corinthians, he talks about um, not appeasement, but not being a stumbling block to others. If you think certain foods are impure, who am I to come in and just punch you in the face and decide, no, 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 everything you know is wrong. Yum, 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 yum. I'm sure it was exactly like that. <laughs> there is a degree of, of self-sacrificing grace to, to act in a manner that will not cause others to stumble. Not sacrificing your convictions or your moral convictions but to say, you know what, if you don't think eating meat is right, then when I come to visit you, I'm not going to demand that you serve me meat. So here Paul is saying, I'll go because I want peace. I want the truth of the gospel to be known, and I want peace. So let me go and complete this ceremony so that people can say, oh, he does observe some of the customs. Maybe I have the wrong impression. That's that. That's the assumption. So in 21, verses 20, starting with verse 27. The seven days, so he went there, he did the ceremony seven days later. The seven days were almost ended when some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and roused a mob against him. They didn't even talk to him. They didn't try to find out anything. They operated on the assumptions that they had, and they went in. They grabbed him yelling, men of Israel, help us. This is the man who preaches against everything against our people everywhere, and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple and even defiles this holy place by bringing in Gentiles. For earlier that day, they had seen him in the city with Trophimus, and a, excuse me, a Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed Paul had taken him into the temple. 
The whole city was rocked by these accusations, and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him. So despite Paul's efforts, Paul's not even instigating anything here. He's, just a, he's trying to promote peace. So what I want you to see is he's trying to do the right thing. In life, suffering can exist independent of whether or not we are choosing the right path. If we can choose to be in the center of God's will and suffering can persist. There's some suffering we're meant to endure despite, despite making the right choice. Our commitment to walk out righteousness will lead us into some kind of suffering because we don't control what other people think. We don't get to control that. And so these people rouse a mob against Paul solely based on what they think and then add some assumptions. And you know, once a group of people get mad, it don't take much. Ever, ever seen a comment section on Facebook? None of y'all, none of y'all go there. All, the, all y'all in here are righteous. Y'all don't comment on Facebook or Instagram or any social media. Everybody gets into my train, my way of the highway, and it doesn't matter what you have to say. I'm right, and I'm just waiting on my chance to rebut whatever information you give. I ain't talking to nobody in here, am I? Not talking to myself. Not talking to nobody. This is, I'm getting ahead of myself. This, so we see he's making, he's attempting. He's attempting peace. But they're not having it. And despite his righteous behavior, despite his observing the custom, false accusations fly, a mob grabs him and seizes him. We go down into verse 31. As they were trying to kill him, oh, wonderful. Word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out his soldiers and officers and ran down among the crowd. Now, he was either next door or Paul got beat for a long time. Somebody had to get to wherever he was and say, hey, they a riot. They They trying to kill everybody. Or he was right next door and said, somebody go stop that. And then he had to mobilize some people and go down there. When the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains. He asked the crowd who he was and what he has done. Some shouted one thing, some shouted another. Since he couldn't find out the truth in all the uproar and confusion, he ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress. As they reached the stairs, as Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent, the soldiers had to lift him to their shoulders to protect him. And the crowd followed behind him, shouting, kill him, kill him. We skip down. To verse 39, where Paul has asked the uh, Roman officer to speak. And he's responding to a question, but we said, Paul replied, I'm a Jew and a, ci- a, Jew and a citizen of Tarsus, Tarsus in, Sicil- in Sicilia, which is an important city. Please let me talk to these people. So God has brought some protection to rescue him, But Paul is so convicted to share the gospel, he says to the Roman officer, please let me speak to them. They were just trying to murder him. They were trying to murder him all the way until they could not murder him. And Paul says, let me talk to them. 
my heart burns for Israel. Let me talk. Let me just speak to them. But I want you to see this whole scenario. What's, what's common? What's common about this scenario? There is chaos and there is confusion. And that's what I want to tell you is that suffering, moments of suffering that we're meant to just walk through may never make sense. There might not be a neat, clean, folded answer to explain everything. You may never know the root. You may not know the motivations of those acting poorly toward you. Our job is not to understand. Our job is to say yes to Jesus. The suffering will be illogical and unjust. Such is the example Jesus walked out. So also is Paul in obedience. But I want you to see, for all the suffering he's enduring, he has seen so many awesome things happen. He's seen miracles. He's raised people from the dead. There have been so many. He's established established church churches across the region. He is working and working for the Lord in the fullest obedience possible, and there is a great joy there. And that is the, the strength that Paul is holding on to as he persists, having the right perspective that suffering doesn't mean I'm doing anything wrong, per se. He has consistently endured suffering because it was promised to him ahead of time. And we see that the, his ultimate purpose is to share the gospel. So he turns around. He's at the, at the, what I can only envision to be sort of the top of the stairs of wherever he's going into. And he says, hey, let me talk to these people. And the officer, the, the guy in charge, the commander is like, oh, you speak Greek? Are you a dude that was uh, trying to do some terrorist stuff earlier? And he's like, no, it ain't me. Uh, can I talk to them? And he's like, sure. Why not? They just want to kill you. And Paul begins to speak, and he gets an audience. The people become silent because he begins to speak to them in Aramaic, in their native language. So now we're in Acts 22, verses 1 and 2. Paul begins to speak. Brothers and sisters, brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my, dis- my defense When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. So the angry mob that brought chaos and confusion is now listening. I want you to hear this. They're listening to what he has to say. They're silent. They're not jeering him. They're not heckling him. They're actually listening. Skip down to verse 17. Paul has given his account of his road to Damascus up to here and his conversion and what's been going on. After Paul speaking, after I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. Now, this is when he returned to the temple. This is the 20 years ago. This is the first return to Jerusalem. I fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. Jesus done warned him. He's like, they're, they're not going to they're not going to take it. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off while they stoned him. But the Lord said to him, or the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away 
to the Gentiles. The crowd listened until Paul said that word. The word is Gentiles. Then they all began to shout, Away with such a fellow, he isn't fit to live, they yelled. They threw off their coats and tossed handfuls of dust in the air. So a few things to see. The crowd hears what he has to say. They hear the fullness of the miraculous power of the Lord. They know to a degree who Paul was. That story is known and his transformation. He gives them every point, every reason to accept him, every logical reason to accept him, and they reject him. So what I want you to see is that in the suffering, no amount of logical argument at times, no amount of logical argument will sway those who are oppressing you. That's not a hard, fast rule. Don't get me wrong. Defend yourself. But when you are in it and you see yourself, I'm acting righteously. I'm acting and I'm speaking truth and love. I'm, I'm walking as Jesus walked. I'm showing grace and I don't see results. That that's part of it. God is using that. And then when you do get a chance to explain yourself in the fullness, you may still be rejected. And sometimes that suffering, just his here with Paul, will come at the hands of those that call themselves believers. I don't like that one. The church is real good at hurting its own self. So I don't want you, I want you to see this process, these, these factors, these attributes of Paul's suffering. The crowd was not open to another narrative. They believed one thing, and even after deciding to listen, their minds would not be swayed. So when you find yourself in a similar situation, think back to Paul. Going now to verse 30. The next day, the commander ordered the leading priest into session with the Jewish high council. He wanted to find out what the trouble was about, so he released Paul to have him stand before them. They want to know what's going on, too. He has no idea. He's like, what are you, why do y'all want to kill him? And all he gets is weird, confusing rhetoric and shouting, and he's like, okay, well, we'll go talk to your dudes in charge, and we'll check that out. And so they get there, and Paul is able to address the high council. We go down to verses in chapter 23 now, verses 1 through 5. Paul, gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before you with a clear conscience. Instantly, Ananias, the high priest, commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. Bro. But Paul said to him, God will slap you, you corrupt hypocrite. Don't you love Paul? What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Those near Paul, those standing near Paul said to him, do you dare insult God's high priest? And Paul apologizes. I'm sorry, brothers. I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied. For the scriptures say you must not speak evil of any of your rulers. So we've got injustice from the crowd. Now we have injustice from the, the church, 
the Jewish church. And Paul, even though in that moment of lashing out, restrains himself and exhibits self-control and grace. Because even in the face of hypocrisy and injustice, we are called to represent Jesus well. Not that we have it all together or that we won't make mistakes, but that in the middle of the injustice, it does not exempt us from behaving well. And that's the hard part. It's not returning evil for evil. It's blessing your enemy. It's doing good toward your enemy. It's loaning to your enemy without expecting repayment, as Jesus asked us to do. How many, how many of y'all in here are going to loan to your enemy and not respect, or excuse me, and not expect repayment? That is not the first inclination of my heart to somebody that is openly opposed to me to be like, you know what, what do you need? You want me to empty my bank account for you? Here you go. Yeah, you don't even worry about giving me that money back. That is, that is not even last on my list. That ain't even on my list. But Paul shows us the power and grace of Holy Spirit in the midst of the oppression, in the midst, just the full frontal rejection and hypocrisy by those who call themselves the religious leaders, goes back to Scripture. And that's what I want to encourage you to be well-rooted in God's Word. Because in these moments, in these battles, whether they're in your mind or in, in the physical, you will have to come back to God's Word. It will anchor you in the trial. Because you'll encounter the hypocrisy and the injustice, and the words of Jesus will come to your mind where he says, don't repay evil for evil. Repay evil with good. Pray for, bless your enemies. Do good for your enemies. And that's hard. I'm not here to pretend that it's easy. But we've got to start somewhere. We've got to start somewhere. And Paul shows us, even with a direct slap in the face, that the root, the core, the important thing is obedience to the Lord, is to represent Christ well. So that, that meeting with the high council doesn't go anywhere. Paul stirs up an argument, smartly in my opinion. He pits the Pharisees against the Sadducees in a religious debate, and they all start hollering, and then there's confusion and uproar again, and the Roman commander's like, um, exit, let's go. I don't know what you're doing, but it ain't good. We're getting out of here. So later, we, um, we see Paul's nephew hearing about a plot to kill him. And some, or here, I'll just read you the scripture here. In Acts 23, starting in verse 11, that night the Lord appeared to Paul. Be encouraged. Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Now, let me stop here. What I want to show you is that there is hope and encouragement from the Lord in the middle of your suffering. There's a word from the Lord that despite having done the right thing and been oppressed, despite having spoken the logical argument and been rejected, despite having audience in front of the leaders and being slapped, God says, you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem. Our job is not to understand the suffering, 
but to just be obedient in it because God is trying to show people something. God is trying to reveal himself to other people in the midst of our suffering, and we may never know what the impact is. But our job is to represent Jesus. And the only way that the gospel was going to get to a, uh, to a population in Jerusalem that wholly rejected it was to be through some man's sacrificial obedience. It came once through Jesus who shared the kingdom of God and they murdered him. But God in his love toward Israel wanting to extend more invitation sends Paul to say, hey, here's the gospel. Here's the gospel in a different way, look, here's how this answers your worldview, and it's still rejected. What we need to see is God's faithfulness in loving the Jewish people here. It comes at the expense of Paul walking out suffering. So I want to encourage you that you may be the only light someone sees, but you might have to suffer so they can see that light. Does that make sense? This means yes. This means no. Okay. (laughs) Suffering makes us shine. And God will deliver encouragement in the middle of that. And now and now in that word, God is fulfilling those those spiritual directions from the beginning of you will be my witness. I need to go to Jerusalem and this feeling to go to Rome. He says, you've been my witness in Jerusalem. Now I'm going to get you to Rome. So in the midst of the suffering, we're able to hold on to the hope of what God has promised us. God here promises, Paul, I'll get you to Rome. So Paul can be like, oh, okay, regardless of what's about to happen to me, apparently I'm on the road to Rome. So we keep going into verse 20. Paul's nephew told the the commander, about a plot. He said, some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the high council tomorrow, pretending that they want to get some more information, but don't do it. There are more than 40 men hiding among them, or hiding along the way, ready to ambush him. They have vowed not to eat or drink anything until they have killed him. They are ready now, just waiting for your consent. And the commander speaking to the boy said, don't let anyone know you've told me this. The commander warned, or yeah, the commander warned the young man. Then the commander called two of his officers in order to get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. Also take 200 spearmen and 70 mounted troops, provide horses for Paul to ride, and get him, to, get him safely to Governor Felix. God will provide for you in your suffering. We see this plot, and I read a commentary that thought, that's, that, that spoke um, hypothetically of the vow these men had taken. Because what happens is they don't go back, they just take Paul somewhere else. And the, and the guy talking about this was goes, I, I assume those men eventually had something to eat (laughs) or died very hungry. But God is faithful to us in, in delivering that encouragement that, hey, you're doing it. You're winning. Nothing makes sense. You're representing me well. Provides for us to continue to walk out the things he's promised. 
he, he wants us to cling to those promises he's given to us. In this instance, Paul, he said, Paul, don't worry, you're going to make it to Rome. And Paul is able to have peace and declare that it is well in the middle of trying to figure out if a whole city is going to kill him or not. And we see, we'll see later as we go that Paul ultimately gets to where he's going. But what I want you to take hold of is that God is present. Just as we've talked about all morning, God is present in the middle of your darkest valley, and there is provision there. There is provision to sustain and protect and, and love and strengthen and encourage you because he wants you to know that you're not alone. The idea is that you walk with him through the valley, that you don't walk independent of him. And oftentimes he may drag you through the valley. I've been drugged. <laughs> Suffering is not incompatible with the Bible. I, I, I believe that most people in here understand that, but I just need to say it out loud. That your suffering doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. That your suffering likely means that you're in the middle of what God has for you if you've asked for it. Now, don't get me wrong. We can create suffering. <laughs> but when you're seeking the Lord, expect some suffering. And when it happens, try to see the purpose that God's working out. Listen, lean in, sit quietly at the table in the presence of your enemies. Hear the words he has to say because he wants to let you know that it's okay and that he's got you. And that there are also resources that you may not know are available where you can have the grace to declare it is well in the middle of the trial and not be consumed with doubt, worry, and fear. That is available to you. There is a place in the middle of the suffering to encounter the Lord. Not only to be refined in your own person, but to shine brightly for Jesus to others that will never receive it in word only. They have to, they have to see it walked out. So we leave Paul there on his way to Governor Felix. And we'll pick back up next week. But what I want to talk to you all about now is today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And how appropriate that we line up with Paul's uh, arrest and attempted murder. And so begins his journey into different, to different authorities and different jails and different places. So I want to take a moment now. And I just want you to, to enter into the mindset that, that some have been called to fields where there is always suffering. There is always opposition. There is always someone against you or an authority against you. And we want to lift up those people in prayer so that they might be strengthened and so they might endure just like Paul did so that the gospel can reach those people groups who are just surrounded by darkness. So I want you to pray with me. I want to pray through a few things and then we'll get wrapped up. So, Father, thank you so much, Lord, that you, that you shine brightly in the midst of our suffering. Lord, we release we release the need to understand. We release the need to explain every detail. We release the right to be offended. Father, and we lift up our brothers and our sisters, and we also ask these attributes of ourselves as we endure different kinds of suffering. So, Father, we pray that we would have an overcoming faith 
a faith filled with the genuine love of God. A faith that will hold fast to what is good. A faith that will show honor where honor is due. A faith that will give us fervence in spirit to serve you. That we would rejoice that the church, the persecuted church would rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Father, that those persecuted would be generous and hospitable, that they would bless those who persecute them, that they would have empathy and compassion, they would rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Father, that they would have harmonious humility, that they would not repay evil for evil, that they would live peaceably with all, and that they would demonstrate confidence in, in your justice. Father, ultimately, they would show kindness to those who oppose them. Lord, and we ask that the, you would place these things in us, that we would be a, a light shining for you, even though we are in a much freer place, that we would not seek to repay evil for evil, but to honor you in every action and to honor all of your children as who they are, your children. Keep us humble, Lord. And bless those that persecute us. In Jesus' name, amen.